Hello, players who exclusively have tragic backstories. And DMs who would literally kiss a player if it meant for some good roleplay. Welcome back to Table Talk. I'm Maddie Conway. And and I'm Robert Lopez. What are we talking about today? So this is part, I think, three, right, of character creation. Uh, This one's going to focus on the not-so-important backgrounds. Um, There are originally 13 in the player's handbook, um, but there are, if you just go to, like, any wiki dot, you'll realize that there are close to 30 or 40 of them now. Yeah, I... But in my opinion, and I think Madison shares the same (laughs) opinion, backgrounds in 5e are pretty pointless, Um, There are more for flavor. So the like secondary theme of this episode is more how to create like a cool character, what flavor means for a character, Mm -hmm. uh, that kind of a thing. There's also something else that you can choose. There's a section for bonds, flaws, quirks. I don't really feel like talking about those. It's basically just for people that don't know how to create like a unique character, which not to shit on people playing it the first time. I definitely did it the first time I did it too. Uh, I I would suggest looking at those. I don't think you should actually write them down. And you'll find all of those when you choose your backgrounds. And if that's something, if you're like getting new into like playing a character and like putting on, like role playing for the first time basically, um, then I think that that can be something that's helpful for you to have like touchstones and like things to look back to. Um, But if you're someone who kind of has a little bit of experience there, then I personally skip over them every time i think that they can be interesting um yeah. and they can spark imagination but i don't that's, think they have to be your bible that's primarily what they're there for is just to like guide you on creating like a character backstory mm-hmm. um so really quick the 13 that exist or the 13 that originally exist in the 5e handbook include acolyte charlatan criminal entertainer folk hero guild artisan noble hermit outlander sage sailor soldier and urchin we're only going to talk about four of those today being acolyte, charlatan, criminal, and entertainer, which yes. are, in my opinion, some of the most common ones to pick. Uh, who the fuck is going to pick an urchin? But yeah. that's besides the point. Listen, if urchin's your thing, that's fine. I'm not shitting if on it. If you want to be an urchin, be an urchin. It's just, a, you know, it's just not for me. Um, so top of the list is acolyte. So they are um, typically picked for your warlocks, for your paladins, for your clerics. They uh, Their whole background is basically kind of religion, so they can... Um, they can do different ceremonies uh, for their deities and then get things in response. Um, sometimes, like, a big, a common thing DMs will do is, like, a side quest for somebody who is an acolyte will be to, like, perform a certain religious ceremony or mm-hmm. search out a temple or pay tribute or shit like that. Yeah. Um, the ceremony, so there is something kind of cool to the acolyte background. Your ceremonies actually give benefits depending on which one you pick. Mm-hmm. So, um Actually, a really cool use of this happened in the final fight of um, the, for the campaign I DM'd where somebody was a fucking acolyte, had no idea, <laughs> and then decided to marry a bunch of people in the party. And yeah. when you marry somebody, <laughs> or marry two people, for 24 hours after that, they get advantage on a bunch of shit yeah. and pluses. So in that within, way... When they're like close to each other. So, yeah, when yeah. they're within a certain amount of feet of each other, which is wild. But um, So yeah, there are eight different ceremony types, wedding, coming of age, funeral, feast day, Settle a theological dispute, settle a local dispute, bestowing a blessing on someone or something in esoteric, mystic, slash ghostic rite. So every one of the ceremonies is going to give you access to a different benefit for usually around 24 hours. Yeah. Um, They can really only be done once. Yeah, generally they can only be done once. Um, So that's kind of the other thing that limits them. But, I mean, if your character is religious, it's cool. It gives you, like, a guiding direction. It gives you access to a little extra mechanic uh, that I actually got to see played out, which was wild. (laughs) Oh, it came in handy a lot. It did, actually. It works 
surprisingly well. Uh, that's also where you're going to get some skill proficiencies um, and equipment. So for an acolyte, your starting equipment is going to be a holy symbol, a prayer book, um, some incense, vestments, common clothes, and 15 gold. Uh, you're going to get proficiency in two languages of your choice yep, yep. and skill proficiencies in insight and religion, which are really the best part of, like, that's the benefit in the way that I choose backgrounds is I yep. just look at the skill proficiencies. They give you proficiencies. They give you equipment. Yeah. Some more flavor stuff. And then they'll also give you a feature called Shelter of the Faithful, which all of their shelter, thi- like all of the features are basically different ways that you can get lodging. Yeah. And they're all kind of the same, which is basically like you're a NPCs. priest, so you'll be able to like stay at a temple or like yeah, so on can, and so forth. You can always find shelter at like a temple or a place of holy significance. Yeah. Criminals, the same thing. It's like you can always find shelter or access to a criminal underground, blah, 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 blah. blah. Yeah. Folk hero. You're a folk hero. Any citizen will take you into their house as long yeah. as it doesn't endanger them. Like a lot of them yeah. just have that little flavor thing where it's like the people that match up with your background also will help you occasionally. Yeah. Which is toss up whether that's actually going to be a thing in your campaign or not yeah. because that's all up to like the world that you're existing in. Yeah. Uh, up next is charlatan, um, which are kind of like, they're not like full scam artists. They're kind of scam artists. I want to read this, this opening thing. Charlatans are con artists, scammers, <laughs> and thieves. Their Never knack mind. for stretching the truth can get them into and out of trouble as often as not. Madison says they're not really scam artists. Okay, well, I'm reading the one from the player's handbook, and it doesn't say the word con artist anywhere. It's I don't just, know. You've I always had a way with people. Blah, 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 blah. Uh-huh. You can... Yeah. yeah, you're an MLM. A little. Yeah, it's an MLM. 100%. Does your character sell Tupperware or really? LuLaRoe? <laughs> um, but the skill proficiencies there are going to be deception and sleight of hand. You'll get proficiencies in uh, the tool kits for disguise kits, forgery kits. You're going to get like fancy clothes, disguise kits, um, tools of the con of your choice, um, and 15 gold. And then you get to kind of like choose like, what's your favorite scheme? And it gives you kind of ideas. Yeah. Um, fun background for that too is like somebody that you somebody that you ripped off forever ago notices you in a town or some bullshit like that yeah and then if you scroll down like whenever you're looking at those that's where you'll find the like ideals bonds and flaws um, Mm -hmm. which you can choose from once again so yeah are the backgrounds what give you access to those things yeah okay see that's something i haven't had to do backgrounds ideals and flaws for a while um, so y- your ideals, backgrounds, and flaws are tied to whatever background you pick. They're usually related to it. So mm-hmm. like I've done, I remember Folk Hero more than I remember the other one just because it's a pretty common pick. So like an ideal for Folk Hero is like you like saving people because it's like it feels good. Yeah. Another one is like you you like the spotlight because, I don't know, it brings you gold and money and fame. Um, flaw might be that like you'll never leave a person behind because you're a Folk Hero. Like, that's what a lot of your ideals, bonds, and flaws are. There's just too many of them to go through, considering how many backgrounds there are. So, yeah. They're as long as some subclass lists. Yeah. It's a bit exhausting. Um, next up is Criminal. It's exactly what it sounds like. They like crimes. Their feature gives them access to a network of other criminals that they can then call on mm-hmm. to do things. Um but then, like, that also kind of works both ways. So, a fun way that it can be DM'd is like you can call on them, but they can also call on you. Or, like, you had somebody bail you out of prison one time, and now you owe them a favor. That's kind of fun. Um, they're also, I think they have, yeah, so they can, they have something called You Gotta Help Me. So, uh, lying low, hiding out from authorities, pulling off a tricky job, 
fencing an item, doing some honest work for a while. So they have, again, same kind of set of skill proficiencies. They're going to be a little different. Their stuff is going to revolve around more sleight of hand and stealth checks. Mm-hmm. Um, their equipment is going to be... Do you have it pulled up? What is yeah. their equipment list? Uh, their equipment's a crowbar, a <laughs> set of common clothes, including a hood and a pouch containing 15 gold pieces, uh, tool proficiencies in one type of gaming set and thieves tools, funny, and funny. skill proficiencies in deception and stealth. I've yet to see a gaming set used. Yeah, same. Yeah, gaming sets are kind of pointless. So if you're stressing out about like which gaming set to pick, you're like, oh, do I get a gaming set or do I get a loot? Like, pick the fucking instrument. You're never gonna yeah. roll dice with somebody. You'll use a loot. Yeah, much more. Often Eventually, than you will even if that's else. not up your your alley, if you just want to like distract somebody and roll a crazy performance check as yeah. a barbarian, it always cool comes moment. in handy. And then last is entertainer. entertainers. They are exactly what they sound like. They are entertainers. It's got a little thing where like. It gives you like an option and it's like choose your entertainer routine and it's got some fun options there. Like one of them is like fire eater, which I thought was pretty fun. Yeah, baby. Or like a tumbler. Um, the feature for that is kind of like by popular demand, which is like as long as you're performing, you can stay anywhere. But it's going to give you proficiencies in acrobatics and performance, tool proficiencies in disguise kit and one type of musical instrument. And for your equipment, it'll give you a musical instrument, the favor of an admirer, a costume, and a pouch containing 15 gold gold pieces. This is the one I almost always choose for all my characters just because I like the bonuses to acrobatics and performance. And uh, knowing how to play an instrument is always in handy, even if you're not playing a bard. Um, If you're playing a bard, why are you not picking yeah, entertainer you not as your like i mean that's automatically going to give you yeah. some stuff seems kind of straightforward yeah um but yeah those are the four that we wanted to talk about because those are the four that either we've played or we have interest in um there are another nine There's a magic them. Fuck ton. yeah and then that's just in the official player's handbook again if you just look d if you just look up D 5e backgrounds and click like the wiki dot link at the top of the search results you're going to walk into like 50 of them there's so many of them so that's the other reason why i'm kind of like backgrounds eh, like they're there it's there's so many to choose from and it gets kind of exhausting so truly yeah. really just like and this is what we'll start talking about next right when you're creating your character i think your your background can give you a good idea of what direction maybe you want their profession to be or a part of their backstory, like um, a friend that double-crossed them, or a family member they don't like anymore, or a scheme they used to pull. But like, even when you start going down the rabbit hole of ideals, bonds, and flaws, it's not going to give you a full character. It's only going to give yeah. you a direction for the character. And sometimes it kind of hurts to have them on the paper, because when you're trying to figure out how to role-play them, you're like constantly checking the paper and being like, well, am I adhering to being like a good person for the sake of being good? Mm-hmm. am i remembering that there's this person i double crossed how am i going to work that in yeah am i also keeping in mind that my flaw is that i can't help but steal things off of shelves like yeah. and it can be fun but i think what's what's a lot more fun is taking those things as suggestions and then turning into turning them into your own unique character aspects yeah. that are more than just like you like to pick shit up because you're I a think, thief. Yeah. And I think there's also a thing to be said of like not letting your character live. And don't get me wrong. Backstory and like the flavor of your character is extremely important. That is going to shape yeah. who you are, especially in the beginning of a campaign, because you don't know who you are. You mm-hmm. don't know like where you fit into this world. But there's also a thing of not letting your backstory be the only thing that rules your character. There was a I, I don't know where it was. 
I saw in like a it was on TikTok at some point, and I cannot remember for the life of me where it was from or who said it. Mm. But basically, saying that the campaign that your character is in, or the quest, or the adventure that they are on, mm -hmm. should be the like climax of your character's life. Like that should be the most important part of their life. Yeah. You don't want to have in your backstory that like you killed a dragon when you were like six years old. Yeah. It gets because right, why are you a level three character then if you've yeah. killed a dragon? Yeah, it doesn't make like, any sense. So also keep in mind the level that you're playing at. If you're playing as a level one character, right. like just keep Which that in mind when you're coming up your backstory. I refuse to start my any anybody I DM for at level one. I think level one is exhausting. Mm -hmm. Um I mean some people start at like kind of do like a level zero or a level one thing and it's like really, really deep in the background. But I mean, I don't know. It, it's not that fun of an experience to be a level one character. And get hit by one thing and die, and to have ability scores that aren't going to let you roll anything above like a twelve. And I mean, I guess if you're level one, you don't really need to. But it's just not that fun of an experience, in my opinion. Yeah. Um. And the first couple of levels aren't that significant. And I think the reason that I like starting at three is that you hit your subclasses at three for most of the classes. Yeah. So all the fun stuff that gives your character flavor text about the specific kind of character or hero they are, you don't hit until you're three, anyways. Yeah. But I mean, I guess it could be fun if like you're picking a paladin and you're doing a training arc and you hit level three and that's like the climactic moment for you and you have to choose your oath to pick. Yeah. That could be fun. But yeah. if it's like you've been a paladin for a couple of years and you meet up with a couple of ragtag adventurers in a bar, motherfucker, you're not one, you're three. No. You're three. If you're one, yeah. you're getting crushed. Absolutely. You're getting stepped on by a goblin the second you head outside. It's also and hard to create like a fully formed character that's like an adult and then also have them as level one. I've seen yeah. where like people have been before of like this was just like a, they were just like a merchant and they've decided to get into adventuring for the first time at uh, like 36 years old. It's so funny. That is a narrative point where it would make sense for your mm -hmm. character. Honestly, I still think then like level three, but like that would make sense for a lower level. But yeah, also if you're like starting out level one, there's a lot less things for you to manage. So I mm -hmm. also understand like starting there, but I wouldn't spend a lot of time yeah. at lower levels. What I will say that backgrounds do help with sometimes though is that uh, generally your the concept of your character is going to come from a class. It rarely starts from anything outside of a class. Even yeah. if it's even if it's a concept before the first thing you're thinking of is okay, what class would this character be? And the rest kind of falls in place from there. Yeah. I think what can be fun sometimes too is to try and like if you just if you don't want to do run of the mill, you want to mix it up and you still want to use backgrounds. See, like, how unique of a combination you can pick between your class and your background. Yeah. So barbarians are often going to pick, like, folk hero or criminal, uh, sometimes acolyte if they're more of, like, the holy route, or noble if they're, like, a noble whatever the fuck, or soldier. But, like, I don't know. Try and pick something different than that if you're, you're looking to spice it up. Like, what does a barbarian entertainer look like, right? Is yeah. Somebody that's going around from town to town, like, flexing their muscles and doing, like, strongman competitions. Yeah. And that can be a lot of fun, too. Um, or even like a hermit, right? Like this, I mean, that kind of gets into stereotype stuff where it's like yeah. a big strong guy in the cave that doesn't he interact with anybody. by himself and blah, blah, blah. His whole family died in the fire, blah, 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 blah. blah. <laughs> um, bullshit like that. But like, I don't know, sometimes they can be fun in that way to like yeah. mix them up. And that gives you a better idea of what kind of character you want to take or what kind of direction you want to take the character in. Like, I love mixing up those things. I think I'm that that can automatically... I'm going to let you continue talking. I have to go let my fiance into student media. I'll be right back. Okay. Um, I think that there's a lot of like really interesting things you can do and like flavors that you can create yourself by mixing and matching those things. Like what does a barbarian Aarakocra look like? And maybe they have the like the sage background or the sailor background. Um, but at the same time, you also don't want to let your mechanics get completely like 
fucked or like set aside just for flavor, which is something that I've done before. I played a wild magic sorcerer with a negative two to arcana for a long time. And let me tell you, while that was a really fun concept of like a sorcerer who has no idea how her magic works and no interest in learning how her magic works or how to use magic was a very fun concept. But in role play, it kind of kicked me in the ass because I was constantly being asked for arcana checks. And it was, I could not really do much because I was taking a penalty to every role. But more than just backstories, in the finding the flavor of your character is figuring out like who is your character? Where are they from? What led them to this point in their life? And there's a couple other mechanics that D&D has to kind of help your character out and just kind of things that like we think are like important building blocks that like should be. Um, one of those is alignment. So alignment, you've probably seen like online anywhere, even if you have no idea or like any information about D&D, you've probably seen some stuff about like chaotic good and chaotic neutral, um, which was a like kind of like chart or like system that was created by D&D to describe characters and their moral alignments. Um, so you have kind of like if you are imagining it as a chart, you can imagine going across the top, there are three categories, lawful, neutral, and chaotic. Chaotic is like fully according to your impulse. Um, it is what you individually want to do uh, versus lawful, which is according to principle. That is according to the laws that you follow. Whether or not this is like good common law or like your family's law or like your evil cult leader's law, that can change, but uh, it is it is according to a principle and a set of rules that has already been established versus chaotic, which is following your own set of rules that you've kind of created for yourself according to what you feel like is right or what you want to do. Neutral is that area in between. Um, it's pretty much what it sounds like. It's like, okay, well, I can recognize that like maybe following the law and a principle 100% to the T might be, you know, a little bad, but also I can't just go around willy-nilly doing whatever I want to do. So if you imagine the second side of that chart is going to be good and evil and then neutral in the middle there. That's pretty much what it sounds like. Um, this is where it gets like a little bit more subjective of like your character can think that they are good and still be an evil character because, I mean, an evil person doesn't always really know that they're evil, but that's it. If you're playing that character, you would still kind of put them in the evil category. And then neutral is going to be somewhere kind of in between that, exactly what it sounds like. So these are all going to create um, a bunch of different combinations. There's a total of nine of them, I believe, um, which is going to be like if you're starting at like the upper left corner, uh, you're going to start with lawful good. Um, this is going to be someone... It, it, truly like the best example of this is like Superman. This is someone who is like just true, good to the core, follows the law, follows the rules, follows the principles of like what they think is right. This is someone who is not only like stopping the bad guys, but like saving kittens out of trees along the way. And like they are, they are basically just as good as you can get to the point where a lot of people sometimes think that it's a boring character to play because they are so good. I disagree with that personally. I think that lawful good, lawful good can be a really, really fun character to play. And it's also very fun to play when you're playing with a bunch of people who are not lawful good because it creates a really fun dynamic in the party. Um, and then moving over one would be neutral good, um, which is someone who is also going to like go out of their way to help people because that's the good thing to do, but isn't maybe going to take those extra steps to do things like saving a kitten out of a tree. I think that a lot of like general characters can fall into the neutral good category. 
Um, I'm trying to think of like any examples that are like popping into my head. Uh, but I can't think of any right now. So we'll come back to that. Um, but neutral good is really solid. It's exactly what it sounds like. And then moving over is chaotic good, um, which is someone who's kind of going to try and save the day and stop the bad guy by any means, because that's what they like feel is right to them. That is what they think is good. This is going to be like more when I think of like a good natured vigilante, like Spider-Man, I think would be chaotic good because, you know, like and he's still technically breaking laws, but he's still doing the good thing at the end of the day. Um, and it doesn't that would be like a revolutionary, someone who's going against what the laws are because they think it's good. But that doesn't always mean that they have to be going against the laws. It is just what they think and what they believe is good and best. And they want to do that goodness out of the kindness of their heart because they think it's good and they like to do good. Going to start way back over on kind of like the other or the next road down would be uh, lawful neutral. Lawful neutral is pretty standard. They believe in justice. They believe in the law. Um, and they kind of like do what they're told. They follow the law. They follow like everything that they're supposed to be doing. Um, they follow those principles, but they're also not like specifically one way or the other. Hello. Do you want to say hi, Elle? I've returned. My fiance is in the room with us now. She does not want to say hi. She's microphone shy. Okay. Uh, I'm talking so about... what have we talked about? Uh, alignment chart. Um, so sorry for leaving you all with her for that long. I know. I'm, I am I just the talk worst. about a $120 goof I made. <laughs> um, anyway, not going to get into that because that shit sucks. <laughs> but yeah, alignment charts. I love that shit. Yeah. Morality is one of my favorite things to talk about, period, because I spent a lot of time taking philosophy classes. And it's so interesting to look at how people roll that in and then completely fucking ignore it. Oh, yeah. Like, people always... See... <laughs> I don't know what how how much have you talked about it already? Um, I have such I, strong opinions on on fucking alignment charts. Well, now I feel like we need to like scrap this bit and go from the beginning because I was like going through I went through them like overall and then I also went through individually. So we've gotten all the way to lawful neutral. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Neutral is not a fucking thing. <laughs> neutral does not exist. You're lying if you think neutral is a real thing. I think in the real world, neutral does not exist. But I think for the case of D and D, even. I think it's the same case in D&D, though. I, I'm not going to present a single character with a choice or an option or a scenario where there is a neutral way out of it. I don't think it's that. I think it is more of, like, neutral on a combination of lawful and chaotic. No, I, I think that's, that's what that means. If you're true neutral, you're like some... But see, it, it, to, to that, to me, like... it's just chaotic. Uh, no, I disagree because I think chaotic. So chaotic is according to your principle, uh -huh. like your in or not your principle. Chaotic is your impulse and yeah. your feeling versus uh -huh. lawful, which is principle and code. Right. I think that most human beings are going to kind of fall in that that neutral category where they do agree and want to follow their impulse, but also recognize maybe like if I have the impulse, my ex just broke or somebody just broke up with me and I'm really, really pissed and I want to just go fucking burn their house down. Yeah, we know what that's like. Yeah. Um, I've never burned anyone's house down. She got close. Eh, no, I haven't. Um, burned other objects. Well, once. Uh -huh. Um, but I think that a neutral character would recognize, okay, that's what I want to do, but I don't think that that's like, that's, against the law i shouldn't do that so instead i'm gonna burn a sweatshirt i think that that would be a neutral option because it's not going in one extreme or the other see i still think i still think 
I don't think neutral is in, I don't again I don't think neutral exists. I think it is a mix of of chaotic and lawful and I think you find a happy medium, but I don't think that medium is neutral because like even your point being their like their chaotic impulse is to burn their house down, but their their lawful code is to say well that's against the law, so they find a medium that's still somewhere in between lawful and chaotic that's not neutral. Neutral would would be deciding to do nothing and sit there like a vegetable. Okay, well, they're Neutral not as well. doing that. I've acknowledged that this is bad, and I've acknowledged that I have a bad impulse, so I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. I think that they are using neutral in, like, a term of in between the two extremes for the, for the purpose of creating a chart. No, I guess it's fair. I mean, if you're looking at it from a chart perspective, then, like, just trying to put something on the chart, neutral makes sense. I just don't believe that there is anything... Like, the true neutral, I do not believe exists. I was gonna... I, true neutral's next, and I was gonna say true neutral can get fucked true neutral is is so much because the way that people like to play true neutral is i'm gonna do anything all of the time ever and there's not gonna be a rhyme or reason to it i thought that was no that's more chaotic no it's not because true neutral means that you have no feelings either way you're not bound by code you're not bound by impulse which means you can do whatever you want and your reason for it can just be i wanted to do it or the law said that i shouldn't do it see there's no (laughs) but you see what i'm saying there's no way to find a true neutral I always saw true neutral as someone who was just kind of like true neutral. So not good, not evil, not Mm -hmm. lawful, not chaotic. I think that that is someone who's just kind of like, I mean, I don't fucking care. Like maybe you can pay me. Maybe paying me will give me like one reason to go one way or another. But I don't have a vested interest in anything. And that's why I don't like true neutral. I think character motivation can start into neutral. I don't think it will ever end with true neutral. Mm -hmm. Because let's, okay, let's go to that scenario. Let's say that I'm like, I'm I'm a rich tavern guy. And somebody, like a group of bandits recently robbed my like food stores. And they've stolen a whole bunch of shit. And I hire the local Merc group who, for all intents and purposes, is true neutral. They, They operate on a system of if I give them money, they go and do the task. They don't care about the task itself. They're not interested in the morality of the task. They just want the money. And they're also not operating on a lawful perspective because it certainly the fuck is not. <laughs> um, right? Like being hired to go and kill somebody. Yeah. But then let's say that these bandits or these mercenaries then arrive to the bandit home and find it's like a group of children and they're all under the age of like six that are stealing food because they're starving. Mm-hmm. If they then make that decision to kill those children like they were hired to do, you would consider them evil. And the idea that one of those mercenaries could then go, yeah, but I don't really care. I was just paid to do it and then shoot the kid in the face. Cool, you're a sociopath. Well, yeah. Right? But you're not like, no, but even then you would still label those actions as evil. So there's no way to hit a true neutral once you're faced with the actual decision. I would agree with that. But I, yeah. for the purposes of them making a chart, it exists. I know. This is just a fun thing that I like to debate. I don't <laughs> think there's anything as gray or black and white does not exist. It's all just a big fucking collage of gray. Yeah. And I think morality goes in the same way. Can you guys tell I like philosophy? <laughs> but yeah, uh, the alignment chart helps. Um, sometimes it's... I think it helps a lot when you're looking at characters that are going to go through an arc. Like if you foresee mm-hmm. your character playing like a lawful paladin and then turning into more like maybe an evil warlock by the end or more like an evil paladin or oathbreaker, uh, looking at the alignment chart might help to be like, I want him to start at lawful, like lawful, um, lawful good and then maybe end somewhere closer to like chaotic evil. Sometimes it kind of, again, it's, it's more of a framing thing. I think it helps for you to figure out where your character is going to go. Yeah. But at the end of the day, people are a lot, as this conversation proves, People are a lot more dynamic than a fucking alignment chart. Yeah, uh, and it's and going to change. hopefully if you're playing a character, they're going to be more dynamic than the chart. Yeah, but it's a good place and a good thing to kind of build off of um, yeah. when yeah. you're it's starting a good jumping, It's a good jumping um, space. 
Uh, then up next is chaotic neutral, which is basically someone who follows their every impulse and doesn't really give a shit about the law. This is where everyone wants to be. This is yeah. where everyone imagines themselves. This is where being. most, I would say, most adventuring parties, at least starting out, are. Yeah. Which can be fun. However, I think a bunch of chaotic neutral can just get a little like. And I think. Okay. I think my. Maybe my. Uh, Jesus Christ, maybe my perspective on what true neutral is is skewed. I feel like I've seen a lot of instances where somebody takes true neutral or chaotic neutral and this just does anything, whatever they want all the time um, for for no reason because they felt like it, which I guess is fun to an extent, but then at, at, at the other end of that, when you're like multiple sessions deep, it gets kind of fucking boring. Yeah. Because it's like, okay, so like you- Like what drives you? You stabbed that guy because you liked the shirt he was wearing and you wanted the shirt more- you don't necessarily care that you're killing him, but you wanted the shirt, and that was the easiest way to get it. Yeah, and what I does think that do that, for you as a character. I think that also starts pulling you into like good versus evil. Chaotic neutral would be like, man, I really, really want like I'm trying to think of like a really mundane thing of like chaotic neutral is like you fucking love taking a shower with your socks on. I'm literally gonna look up an example of what. Example of chaotic... I'll say Jack Sparrow comes up a lot when people are talking about a chaotic neutral character. Chaotic neutral. Where I think that that's something that... Okay, okay. So, for example, one chaotic neutral character might be a part of a tribe that considers itself independent and anarchist, whereas another may choose not to be as their lives may still be dependent on the... Um, so, it... <laughs> Yeah, it's so interesting. That didn't help. It didn't tell, yeah, it didn't tell me anything. I, I think chaotic neutral is more of like something, like following impulses that are not always like truly good or evil. Like if your impulse is to stab people, that's chaotic evil. Uh, that is like... Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that is, that is but bad. See, I think but if people... your chaotic neutral is like, man, I'm just going to put on clown makeup and walk through town and tell everyone I'm a clown today. I mean, you're not doing anything necessarily good or evil there. Right. But why does why is that chaotic? Why isn't that just true neutral? Because maybe clowns are illegal in this town. Oh, I see, I see. Right, 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 right. Okay, okay. I okay. I'm kind of hopping on board with the chaotic neutral thing. Yeah. See, I think neutral for me, kind of like what I was saying earlier. I think neutral is a wonderful jumping point. I think your character is always going to fall on either evil or good at some point in your campaign. Yeah. Um. Because maintaining neutral in a world where you have to make difficult choices is nearly impossible. Yeah, unless your character just kills himself at every yeah. choice. Yeah, yeah, but like it's which is a viable option in D anD. d Yeah, hundred percent. Um, another another description I found is that the chaotic neutral character feels that there is no plan at all for the universe. Things just happen. They tend to believe in luck and chance rather than fate or destiny. They don't care what happens to others, yet will not necessarily go out of their way to harm them either. Yeah, I think that would be like a a pretty good way of thinking about it yeah so chaotic neutral is you don't you're you're kind of like yeah laws are like laws are suggestions but i'm also not out to hurt anybody or harm anybody i'm just yeah. here living my life yeah you're like a very um you're a very low ball anarchist in the grand scheme of things okay do you want to say that into the mic so my fiance <laughs> just said it's like when somebody asks you what 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 you're eating, but you lie for no reason. Okay. It's doing something without like a a, a true purpose. 
Yeah. Like when you go out to the bar See, and like just, just lie to random men. I think it's just a me thing. I despise action without motivation or intention. It drives me insane. It sends me up a fucking wall. Doing something for no reason is just... Mm. Which is somebody with ADHD that has impulse. I can't explain why I do some of the things I do, but that's besides the point. You know the one chip challenge? Yeah. Uh... I tried a, a quarter of a quarter of it and thought I was going to fucking die. Yeah, and that was a full impulse because it was like a thing where he was like, I want to eat this. And we were like, hey, don't. Don't do it. Maybe don't. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do and it. he did it anyway. So motivation, we didn't get that far into it, but... Um... Oh, well, can oh, we we're still the finishing. The How many more do we have in the Three alignment more. Chart? Jesus Christ. It's only going to take a minute. Speed run it. Uh, lawful evil. Someone who is evil and then follows like their own principle of evil. Like a code. Like, a, like an Eldritch Knight. Yeah. Uh, versus neutral evil, which is basically what they want. Um, yeah, best example and... of lawful evil I can think of is like the Crusade. Crusade. <laughs> what the fuck? No, because hear me out. It's it's an inherently evil thing to just go around and murder people because your king or your pope said so, but you're still following a code. The action yeah. itself is evil, but, okay, true. but like you're following a code into Okay. It's like the Sith sometimes in Star Wars, how some of them are like, There's there's a way to do this. I mean you look like fucking Palpatine, it's just whatever the fuck. It's Star Wars, I'm not even gonna go down that route because Madison likes it, but <laughs> but there are some like Sith who are like, there's still an order to this shit and I'm gonna follow it. Am I evil? Yes. Is think, there is there a way to do it? I think also, that's lawful yes. evil. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm I, saying. Oh, I was talking about. No, I'm saying evil. A, a character like Palpatine then is. Oh, like okay. Yeah. Chaotic evil. There's reason, but then also fuck you. I'm a raisin. Yeah. No, it's it's it. Fuck you. I'm back from the dead, and yeah. suddenly no nothing matters. Nothing fucking matters. I have chaotic evil is is Joker. Yeah. You're going out and stabbing <laughs> people because killing people is funny. Yeah, it's you are following your own evil impulse. You don't give a fuck about other people. You're just, just doing whatever the fuck you feel like. Bad creature. Yeah, just you're shit. You suck. <laughs> There's yeah. no rhyme or reason to hey, why you suck, but you fucking a suck. A good way to characterize that in terms of creature types. Demons are considered chaotic evil because they will cannibalize each other. They will murder each other. If you let them loose in an area, they will attack anything that moves. Devils, on the other hand, are intelligent, and you can make deals with them, and you can be companions with them, and they have a hierarchy. They're evil as fuck. They still want your soul. However, comma, they're not going to eat you. Yeah. You know? So this is a good be, difference yeah. in character and in creature types. There you go. Um, and then it's also like sometimes they'll say like certain races or classes have, have a like a tendency leaning. towards one of these things. Like paladins have a tendency to be good. Elves have a tendency to like follow more chaotic and follow their own thing because they're like, oh, I'm fucking I'm old. I'm better than you. Um, but yeah. Some Here's classes tend to lend themselves as well towards more. That's not, they don't tell you that, but truly in my opinion, I think some of them lend themselves more towards one than the other. Yeah. Like it's a lot more difficult to play like. It's going to be hard to find a lawful bard. Well, I wasn't even say a lawful bard. Uh, a lawful good warlock in my mind is, what are you doing? No, that's true. Who have you made a pact with? What order god, are you The Christian god. Yes, you've made a pact with the Christian god. So why aren't you just a cleric? <laughs> If you, I mean, right? Yeah. You, see, you see what I'm saying? Like, no, because being a warlock versus when you're making a deal with like a celestial being is inherently mm -hmm. selfish at that see, point. Then it would, see, in my mind, it's chaotic good because then it's like you're smiting people because good. Because God said so? Uh-huh, 100%. Because mm -hmm. God, God told him to do it. You're not following a rhyme or reason. It's just you're the righteous hand of Jesus. You're out there smiting motherfuckers because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Not because you should. Yeah. So that kind of goes into motivation because your alignment will also like help with your motivation, uh, which is why are you doing the things that you're doing? Yep. 
why why do you want to kill the entire the the thing on here is why are you so willing to murder an entire village of homeless orcs for money why are you there are so many times in the first campaign i played where we were just looking for shit to do because we were kind of hitting some dead ends on story points and we were just like well can we like roll to find a group of bandits yeah. or like maybe a, a camp of orcs that look particularly evil mm-hmm. and then we just show up, kill all the orcs or the bandits, loot their shit and go on about our day. Yeah. Chaotic Why? evil behavior. Why are you doing that? <laughs> yeah, if you're that's a, what it is. a lawful good paladin, there is no way that you're just so casual and cool with rolling up on a group of bandits of which you've never met, talked to or know anything about and, and just, just kill them and take their stuff. Yeah, it's why are you doing the actions that you're doing? Yeah. Are you going out and murdering people because you have like a fucked up relationship with mm-hmm. like your dad? And this I is... mean, that's a little bit of a motivation. It doesn't justify it. And your motivation doesn't always have to justify your actions. Mm-hmm. It just has to like... And I think motivation there. is where people get caught up in the stereotypes most often. And it's always like the, oh, well, I don't like goblins because goblins killed my whole family. Or I like to do things alone and I'm a ranger because I'm an outcast and I've never had contact with people. Yeah, Like your motivation needs to be a little more creative than just I am the way I am because something sad happened. Yeah. Please, 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 please move away from that. Please, please. We're going to talk about family and friends here in a second. Um, but don't use dead family members or friends for motivation unless it's really creative and cool and thought out. Yeah, because at that point, you're just getting into like fridging territory, which I have very strong opinions about fridging, if you don't know, is basically um, a when a a story of some kind, most of the time it's either going to be like, I always think of it with comic books or like movies, mostly mm-hmm. comic books, but it's when they like, they kill the girlfriend or they kill the wife or they kill the, it's the dead wife trope. Think it's the Batman. wife in the white like bed sheet that yep. they always have clips of in the movies. It is whatever like female fucking character is killed yep. and it ends up furthering the male protagonist's story. Don't fridge people for no fucking reason. Batman is the easiest example of this to like point to. Your character, like his whole character motivation is he was just a fucking child who didn't like bats. And then his mom and dad got <laughs> shot in front of him and he realized that the city he was living in is basically Albuquerque, New Mexico, <laughs> where people are actively cooking meth and shooting motherfuckers in the back alleys. Yeah. Hey, this shit sucks. Do you have something you want to send in to make it better? Criticisms, topics you'd like to see discussed, or an advertisement you'd like to run? Maybe you even want to sponsor an episode. If so, shoot us a message at mc460 at evansville.edu or DM us on Instagram at Crescent Magazine. Or we'll never get better like these fucking guys. I only say that because one of our roommates, Dakota, is from Albuquerque and constantly says that Albuquerque just, is the real like, world drops Gotham. He the like most insane. He's like, yeah, we've got the highest knife crime like in the country, and yeah, we're like, murder rate anywhere. What the fuck? And he's like, yeah, we're we're fiftieth in education, and we're there's like, are you reason, from Gotham? There's a reason why Breaking Bad was set there. <laughs> yeah, like, truly. But like, that's that's a wonderful example of like a really dull character motivation. And Batman for what it's worth is a cool character. It's just a lot of stories have now followed that line of there needs to be some sort of tragedy to then spur on the character motivation. Yeah, cuz it almost always motivation always especially in comics is like always tied to family and friends. And in yeah. D&D it's such a thing of like It makes sense though. I mean, family and, and friends yeah. motivate us as people, but like also sometimes you do things because your friends are alive and your family yeah. members are alive. Motivations like can be positive. Ally Beers character fantasy high great example they're shit people but they're all alive yeah and it 
motivation can be positive. Maybe you just really fucking love learning about new places. And so you decided to join an adventuring party so you could travel to new places yeah. and You're try a new fucking that wants things. To catalog as many spells before they die. And you have like a nice little heartwarming farewell to your family before you set off on your adventure. Yeah, like that is just as valid as a motivation as to a lich killed my entire family. Because guess what, motherfucker? You cannot throw a goddamn rock in like the world of D&D without running into somebody whose backstory is my family was killed by so and such. Uh-huh. And that fucked me up. And so now I'm an adventurer. I, I think it's a lot more fun to try and find positive character motivations even yeah. for a character that is made to be a more negative either in type or alignment. Um, think of something happy or fucking normal, you know? Like yeah. non-tragedy related. Yeah. I think also what's kind of fun too is making a character whose background is mostly neutral and then letting the story or the beginning of the campaign shape your motivation. Yeah. That's fun too. It's putting a lot of faith in the DM's hands, so I mean to each their own. But, I mean, if you talk to the DM beforehand, you're like, hey, I don't really know what I want to do with my story. I'd like to just kind of pick up as a person who has this a class and this ability and whatever, whatever, and then go from there. That works, too. And motivation is also something that can change. In our last campaign, we had a character whose original motivation was basically to um, set out and, like, create his own, like, farm and, like, his own land mm-hmm. and, like, his own life. Yep. And then ends up, like... Coming into a truly ridiculous, like Elon Musk amount of money. Yeah, like lucrative business And very business quickly, deals. like his motivation changed from like basically wanting to create the this like place of his own to, I mm-hmm. now want to become the richest man in the multiverse and introduce yep. capitalism to every yeah. single corner of the universe. Discover the benefits of coin. And he did. Yep, he sure He just did. fully introduced capitalism to like the world. What an American thing to happen at a table. He was playing a southern character, so that makes it infinitely yeah, funnier. Southern vampire who um, at no point in the campaign revealed that he was a vampire, but was very <laughs> obviously such since the beginning. It was fucking It's also fucking hilarious to see him interact with anybody at the table. Some of the funniest moments ever. Anyways, um, so we've already kind of talked about f- friends and family. Uh, again, the quote we have here, No, they can't have all been killed in a fire started by an evil wizard turned lich or... Goblin or fucking, I don't know, Cthulhu, dragon, dragon, you know? It's always fucking dragon. Yeah, dragons are, I mean, most of them are characterized as being evil. Um, Some of them are characterized as being more on the good. Uh, For a reference, most dragons, for those that don't know, are sentient to a degree. Usually the difference is their color, which this is kind of racist, their color determines how evil they are. For reference. Black dragons, evil. Red dragons, evil. Green dragons, evil. Blue dragons, usually good, or at least intelligent to an extent. White dragons, good. Gold dragons, altruistic. Well, eh, white dragons are hit or miss. White dragons, sometimes people play sadistic, but I've seen them play on the more intelligent, good scheming things. I don't like that. I've seen um, uh, white dragons played as like uh, chaotic good, and gold dragons are usually lawful good. So it's kind of shit, too, in that way. Like, even D&D doesn't manage to escape from that, like, the isms, right? They've given all of the darker colors more inherently negative traits, and they've given all the lighter colors inherently positive traits. But when you're playing in a setting where heaven and hell exist, and one naturally lends itself to dark and the other one light, you kind of have to take what you get in a fantasy universe. Yeah. Hard to get away from it. But anyways, family and friends can't all have died. Um, we've already kind of talked about how to use them in motivations. I think too, having friends like in this particular campaign that we're in now, just about everybody has a friend, um, at least one 
that like either they met towards the start like a little before the campaign started or that they've been friends with for a very long time. I have one uh, who has like one best friend and then knows like a lot of coworkers because he works in like a corporate scenario. Um, so there's some like potential for me to roleplay some of those NPCs as well, like his own little team. Um, try to avoid the like my only friends of the party thing because yeah. that's not always the most fun you know, like when you're sitting around shooting shit at a tavern, trying to like recoup, recoup before you like storm the castle tomorrow. Sometimes it's fun to talk about like in a last, like, oh, we're about to die tomorrow. Let's share some like fun character things. It's cool to actually have a story to tell about a friend that you actually wrote into the backstory or about yeah. a family member that you actually wrote into the backstory. Um, and then I just think about having those names on paper. Like I highly encourage everybody to write down actual names of family members and friends is that you can call on them and then make up their backstory in a heartbeat, but you don't have to like freeform the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You can be like, my mom was a merchant. My dad was a criminal. And that's as much as you have written down about them, plus maybe some names. Yeah. Uh, but even that is more to go on than saying, oh, my whole family died in a fire. Yeah, and that's really all you need because that's also going to, if you are going the route of my whole family died in a fire, mm-hmm. knowing details about them is going to make that more impactful because yeah. it's like, yeah, my mom and dad, I can't tell you any other information about them other than they gave birth to me. I was two years <laughs> old when they died and I was taken in by the lonely hunter in the woods. Yeah. And now I'm a high elf that likes to shoot things from afar and dress in leaves. Yeah, it's... okay. Get cool, specific. Bro. Also, be careful who you share that information with, because sometimes you write a family that your character has no connection to, and you send it to your DM, and then mm-hmm. that's the campaign. That is the campaign. Um, yeah, be careful how much backstory you give your DM, because as somebody that likes to take the backstory I'm handed and then run with it full form, listen, the more information you give me, the more packed into the campaign it's going to be, whether you like it or not. Yeah. Um, and then kind of like... I think that's hit all the points. Yeah. I mean, the next thing we have on the list is flaws, quirks, strengths, and weaknesses. Like you, your PC should also have flaws and is not perfect. Um, We've kind of already talked about that, but not in too much detail. So um, your background is going to give you a list of things to choose, however, Mm -hmm. comma. You can also think of flaws in your regular day-to-day life, like maybe you're always late to turning something in or... Maybe you like have a really hard time with trusting people too soon or not trusting them soon enough. Maybe it's, I mean, who the fuck knows, right? Maybe like you have normal... like a level of anxiety. I was uh, the character that I'm playing right now. Um, in like writing, role played a down, panic attack. Yeah, I, it wasn't something that was like planned initially, but uh, she was basically talking to uh, the cops and realized like in that moment, I was like, oh, she's fucking terrified and that has now become a part of her character of like having this anxiety and everything if you want to look at like that kind of and like bringing flaws into your game fantasy high does a wonderful job of that with um yeah i mean in the first season to how committed they get to their characters though i mean to preface and we've already said this before the people that you see on dimension 20 like the the real plays and critical role those are people that all have backgrounds in either improv or acting in general Something somewhere. Their careers are not just at the table. Some more than others. But don't don't also go and watch like the first season of Fantasy High and think, wow, like I really have to commit to the character like that hard, you know? Because it's yeah. difficult, especially your first time playing to commit oh, yeah. to somebody that you're not. I mean, I play. I'm currently at like a table full of like actors and other performers and it's still very much an adjustment for mm. people who are not used to playing in this space to like get into this space and it's a hard thing to jump into it's weird yeah it's, it's all odd. very different it's discombobulating and that's okay so don't go into this expecting to just instantly be like yeah. the levels of an actual play that you're watching but like to 
To your point, though, I think there are a lot of great moments on Dimension 20 where you get to see, like, a person or, like, a player make a decision that they very clearly don't want to make or that is so true to their character that that's the only option they want to. Mm-hmm. Or it's like, I mean, you've done this at the table plenty of times. Yeah. It's Magnolia. You were like, I, as a person, would love to help this help these people, but as the character, there's no reason for me to stick around. Yeah. And so you leave. Um, and that... It's fun. It's also difficult to do. Like, it's very hard to have that that moment at the table being like, okay, my character that I'm, for all intents and purposes, playing right now and have created and am embodying is about to make a choice that I, as a person, would never make, ever in a thousand years. Yeah. Um, But that commitment then is what makes it so much more fun because it's it's giving you a moment to step into, like, the shoes of somebody that's not exactly yourself. And most people in a first campaign will always end up playing a version of themselves. I think Absolutely. most characters, even on your 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th campaign, are a version of yourself. I, the but way, more so in your early ones, because what do you have to draw on? The way I like to think about, and, and looking at like my own experiences, I approach character creation and making characters at the table very similar um, as I do playing a character and acting. And in acting, a lot of the times, depending on what method you're using, um, but most of the time you're going to be drawing on your own experiences and the way that you as an individual feel. Because every character you play, whether that be like, on a fucking stage or at the table is going to be you playing a character. Mm -hmm. You are like, you are intrinsically tied to this character in one way or another. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times you have to find where you connect to this character and where that overlap is. I like to think that a lot of the characters that like I create, they are really rooted to like parts of my personality, but they are greatly exaggerated. Mm -hmm. Magnolia was my bitch. She was my every negative trait about myself. She was whenever I like I, my distrust of people, Mm. paranoia, um, and, and, and rudeness and just like generally being a bitch, uh, versus the character I'm playing now is a very optimistic and very positive person. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I'm leaning into more of my like positive traits there. So it is okay to rely on that, but also like, don't be afraid to stray from yourself. Yeah. And I think a, a really easy way to try and get out of your own head and in, in, into creating a different character is to don't be, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, don't, don't be, be afraid bad. to rip a template of another character from a book or a movie or an anime mm-hmm. or a piece of media that you really like and then make it your own. For this campaign um, that we're playing all about superheroes, almost all of the characters in terms of NPCs that I've made I have either come from the, the source book that I bought or from this amazing book series. It's uh, it's on an app called Choice of Games. They've been out for a really long time. It's basically like a D&D light or like a novel light where you, like the, the old Goosebumps flip book, you make a decision, go to page 17. Oh, I love those things. It's the same thing, but it's a lot more in-depth and the stories are a lot more engaging. Uh, little did I know I was playing D&D light for so many years. <laughs> but uh, there's like a... episode. A, yeah, pretty much. Like there's... <laughs> series uh series on there called heroes uh, heroes rise and it's basically all about superheroes and you play like a very young hero who is like the son or daughter um i guess child right of two superpowered parents that die super tragically uh, or they get arrested super tragically after killing a villain and then you play like the rise right heroes rise from your essentially your origin all the way up to like becoming the number one hero in like the entire nation right the entire united states in almost every character, every NPC that I've ported has been a character directly from that book series. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I was talking to Madison about this the other day. In terms of DM playing an NPC, there's this one character in the book series called Jury, or that's their superhero name is the Jury. 
because their father is a, um, a judge turned mayor, so not super fucking unique, but whatever. And he's basically like a foil the whole time. He's just like, he's the son of the guy that ordered whoever the fuck to get killed and then sent your parents to prison. And he's like always one step, one step ahead of you because he has daddy's money, but he doesn't have any real superpowers. They're all like tech-based, and he's basically just like a fucking poser that's everywhere he shouldn't be because he has money and he's pretty. And I decided, for whatever reason, to roll Jury into basically session one, and he's slowly becoming one of my favorite characters, even though he is the most unlikable person in that entire book series. Yeah. Um, and that's like a, a good idea or a good, I guess, kind of good example of a place to start. Um, he's very different the way that I'm role-playing him at the table than in he is in the book. Like, he's coming around a lot quicker to, like, being not a terrible person. Um, but that's because of his interactions with my PCs, with my with the playable characters at the table. And I think the same thing goes the other way around as well. Like, if you decide you want to play, I don't know, uh, you want to be like a Goku character from a Dragon Ball Z, or you want to be like the, the main character in this fantasy book you're reading, mm-hmm. um, it's not going to take you any time at all to find the class, the background, the spells, the equipment, the whatever to make that character. Um, and if that's what you need to get a start to come up with a set of flaws and strengths if you're like, hey, listen, I don't really want to play myself, but I don't know how to make a character that's not me. Let me pick this knight from this book series that's like super flawed, but in this really cool way and has this really unique fighting style. And then just role play that and it'll naturally become your own. Yeah, it will. It will always change from like anything that inspires it because you're going to be making choices that you don't have source material to kind of pull from and be like, oh, this is what this character would do. Yeah. And it's going to become your own. And like even if it's just a simple thing of like you retexture what they look like, mm-hmm. you don't even have to tell people that you're basically copying something from someone because yep. your personality and everything that you create kind of on the piece of paper is going to shape who you are, but it is also mm-hmm. going to change, right? Every down in pencil. To write, was that it? Write everything down. That was in the end of my sentence. Oh, okay. It sounded like you were still going somewhere with it. Um, yeah, I mean, truly, just write it all down in pencil. It's all going to change. Um, if you write your character notes in pen, you're a fucking freak, and I stand by that statement. I just kind of meant, like, in general, of like writing no, no, down this is, in this a This is a literal point I'm change. making. Now. If you write your character notes down in pen, you're a freak because you're lying to yourself and everybody else if you think it's not going to change in two sessions. You're burning the planet, you're shredding trees. Am I calling Madison out in particular for this? Oh my God. Yes, I am. Um, do I care? No, because I'm going to defend no, myself right no, now. Okay. The character the sheets thing. that we were using were ugly as fuck, and they were very overwhelming to look at. So I designed new ones, and they came out being nine pages long. So I printed one for everyone in the group, example, and I said, playing, oh, I could just reprint them whenever it changes. Don't be afraid to get specific. In fact, get very specific. Yeah, I would love to talk about I hope about you this. all listened to all of that and tried to pick apart both... Um, both both conversations. You just said those things just to keep me from speaking. Yeah. Cool. 100%. Um, non-mechanical things, who are they? Let the mechanics influence your character. So, yeah, that's, that's another thing. It, there are so many different systems and off-branches of systems that you can be playing in when it comes to Dungeons & Dragons the way that you think of it typically. Mm-hmm. We've talked about kids on bikes. Um, in my opinion, kids on bikes lends, lends you to be a lot more... I don't want to say specific, but also, like, your character doesn't have to be as malleable as it does in 5e because you're not constantly changing your equipment or your um, your spells 
or your weapons or improving your traits to get proficiency bonuses in sleight of hand. You have a set yeah. of scores that you roll with. Um, and in that way, the character that you pick from the outset can be fairly static. Yeah. And doesn't I have mean, to be super changing. Really but you like can a also change too. System. Yeah, like there's not really an expectation of change in development in kids on kids on bikes, kids on brooms, whatever the fuck. Uh, as there is in a system like five E. But um, even to that extent, there are so many different subsystems within five E that have been homebrewed or created for different reasons uh, that fit different settings. Let your character also fall into the system that you're playing into. Like yeah. For superheroes with mechanics where you're rolling to get your power slots back or where you have things called heroic moments at the table, maybe part of your character then is driven to get as many heroic moments as possible in the form of like they're just vain or maybe they just really like to be on the spotlight. And that naturally lends themselves then to getting those heroic moments more often than someone else might. It's also a thing of like letting the the game mechanics that you select for your character influence your character. Mm-hmm. Like let some of your features that you have from your class like really, really yeah. kind of roll in. If I'm for an example here, if you're playing a Tempest cleric mm-hmm. and you're doing a fuck ton of stuff with lightning yep. and storms and stuff like that, let that influence your character. Even if it's in like small cosmetic ways of like your character, maybe because they're always like around a storm, lets their emotions kind of like boil over and lash out in different ways be a lot like a storm or maybe they're static and their hair is always messy and frazzled because of all the static electricity running yeah. through them yeah, yeah. like let thing. those things that you choose mm-hmm. seep into your character it's going to make everything feel so much more cohesive yeah. as well there are so many different ways to approach it when you're trying to come up with like a solid character background there's starting from the mechanics and doing it that way and then there's starting from the character background and then molding the mechanics around that yeah are you character concept first or are you yeah. um, books first? Which is a debate to have. <laughs> yeah, and I I don't know. I, it's kind of, it's such an in-between thing for me. I, I pick and choose so frequently. I think some characters, when I'm helping other, because I've helped people make more characters than I've made them myself, I think it really just depends on the direction or how much background information that person is coming with. So, like, mm-hmm. Um, creating one of the characters most recently. He knew he wanted to play a specific role. So in the campaign, they're called roles instead of classes. He wanted to play a specific role. He wanted uh, a specific background, and he kind of had an idea for flavor text. So from that, we started plugging in the pieces then based on the mechanics. We said, okay, so mechanically, this is the role you want to fill. These are some of the spells you're interested in. This is the background you want. How do we then start plugging in lore pieces, background pieces, to then naturally make this character... But then there's also, like, uh, another person who I worked with making their character. We had talked before I even had a chance, like, before I really got into the character book, or, sorry, before the, I got into the source book, because I had talked to him about joining before I even bought the, the material. So for him, it was starting from a fully fleshed-out character idea and then building the mechanics around the concept. Um, so truly, I think it can go both ways. Yeah. I think there's generally, like, a pretty happy medium to be found as well. Letting both your features influence the choices you make as a character and the choices you make as a character influence your features. Yeah. Um, And then another kind of note that I have, because like character creation and flavor is like my favorite thing, Mm -hmm. uh, which is be specific. Get as specific as possible. When you're just, I like to think about creating a character in a way of like, if you described this person, 
to someone, would they think that they're a real person mm-hmm. or would they think that this is like a stock character? Yeah, 100%. Um, so trying to find... Try like, and make them more than their stat block and name, you know? Yeah, instead of just being like, oh, well, they're a good person. Think about, oh, they're the kind of person that would stop in like if a little kid had like dropped their ice cream cone that they would go out of their way and like buy them a new ice cream cone mm-hmm. even if that ice cream shop was mm-hmm. across town. Or are they like the kind that like will kick kittens, you know? like <laughs> yeah. Is it uh, a convenience over everything else kind of deal? Like they're a ruthless businessman that doesn't really care much about like creature life or, you know, mortal life. And so it's not even, oh, they're just evil to be evil. It's evil because their motivation is money. Like that's that's their yeah. assigned value for everything they see in the world. Um, so yeah, 100%. I, I could not second that more. Get very specific. Get as specific as you want within reason. Talk to your DM depending on how specific you want to get. But that's for more of like the grounding your your background somewhere within like physical environment or yeah. history of the world, you know. Uh, to help with that specificity, these are questions that I ask myself personally uh, anytime I create a character. Um, what are they scared of? What is their greatest fear? What's their favorite color? What does their magic and or fighting style look like? Mm-hmm. If it's like a physical magic, what color is it? What does it smell like? What does it feel like in their body when they cast it? Does it feel like nothing or does it feel like they are like pushing every fuck like a like a intense workout and their body hurts um also with that keep in mind too that when you're describing these things about your character it doesn't have to make sense um uh, how do i describe this it doesn't have to make sense in the context of the fantasy universe there are so many times where you as a player will talk to another player not as your character but just to ask them a mechanical question or you'll say hey like not as this not as the character but like Maddie to Robert or like player to DM. Can I do this thing? When you're describing things like that, when you're describing what your fighting style looks like or what your magic looks like, don't be afraid to use like a a pop culture reference or a media or a comic book. No. If you're playing in fucking fantasy, like castles, dwarves, elves, and you turn to your your friends in game and you go, so my magic kind of looks like that shit off of Naruto. (laughs) No, that doesn't make any sense. They're all going to look at you like you're stupid. However, that's a really cool reference that you can then give your players, your other players, and your DM on what it looks like when you're interacting. Because it's all, I mean, there's no such thing as, I mean, if, if you want a really good example of what, like, high-tech D&D looks like, go play fucking Baldur's Gate. Yeah. If you're not playing Baldur's Gate, it's all imagination of the mind. Even if you have minis and a little moving background on a TV touchscreen, it's all imagination of the mind, right? So, or theater of the mind, I guess is the better way to phrase that. The more examples you can give the players and the DM on what it looks like you're doing, even if it doesn't make sense in that context, helps a lot and is so much more immersive. Um, And you don't have to, like, from there on, every single combat encounter, you don't have to be like, yeah, I flip over that guy like fucking John Wick. You've established four sessions ago, (laughs) you look, play, and act like John Wick, the character from the popular movie series. Cool. We got that. That's what we're all picturing. And it, now just role play. I think it's also something that's impactful of like if this is something that you think is really cool or you're doing something that you like have never tried before or mm-hmm. like something like that, you can like take a break and describe, okay, so what is it wh- when I'm casting this? So she's going to like run across the battlefield and she's going to duck under this thing and slide across the ground and then she's going to plant her feet and she's going to put her hands out in front of her and like her fingertips are like stretched and you can see the tension and then this mm-hmm. happens. That's going to be so much more engaging yeah you don't do that every turn um that you're gonna be at the it's table forever mm-hmm. but like having those times to like pick and choose is super super and awesome see, that's where I, that's where like letting the dice like the dice tell the story as much as you do is 100 percent like the case especially when you're looking at a 5e system or even just a kids on a bike system yeah like 
the, the times to narrate are when you hit a natural one or when you pass a really, really important roll when you hit a natural 20. You don't need to narrate, narrate like you're in a, like a, a fucking hitting number movie. four for the seventh time. Yeah, you don't have to narrate the full like sliding and vaulting and hitting and like the guttural like sound of your knuckles cracking as you punch goon number six in the face. You yeah. did it to five, four, three, two, and one. <laughs> we know what it looks like. We know what it looks like. But you roll a natural twenty to fit like to finish off the big boss. Usually a DM will say, "How do you want to do this? How do you want to do this?" And that becomes like a very favorite, a very cool phrase or like wanted phrase to hear at the table. Or you roll a natural 20 on, like, solving this really impossible thing, and it's like, well, I can't not give it to you. Yeah. And then you, like, then the DM gets to do this really special narration for you. But, like, yeah, pick and choose your moments, but when you do pick a moment, go all out. Yeah. Go it's what, it's what makes a lot of those moments really cool at the table. It also helps when you're describing that in the beginning because it gives the DM and the other players at the table an idea of who you are, what you look like, what you're doing. And um, even to that, uh, something that's helped me, at least going into the next session, is, is me and you talked not that long ago about um, some things that your character outside of like this campaign, some mm-hmm. things that set up who she is as a person or some like cr- like core and critical moments or specific events uh, are kinds of things that like really make her her in your mind and like now going forward I want to start to roll in more of those moments and role play the environment around what the character most positively interacts with um, so also it like it goes both ways too the more information you give me about the kinds of things you want to see about the kinds of information uh, about how the environment interacts with you about how goons interact with you when you hit a natural 20 or a natural one yeah I'm not opposed to creating, I mean, it sounds kind of obvious. I'm not opposed to creating a story around the players, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, I'm not I'm not here, I mean, to an extent, right? Like, I wouldn't agree to, to DM a campaign if I wasn't interested in it to an extent, but yeah. I'm ultimately here to provide an experience for the players just as much as I am myself. And so if changing my wording on the way a combat encounter goes or the way a role fails... Uh, for a specific character is going to make that moment so much more fun for them as a person or for a player or for the group. I'm going to do that. Like yeah. 100% I'm going to do that every time. And it's also a thing of like going back to that conversation we had the other day is I was feeling kind of like unhappy with how I was playing my character or unhappy mm-hmm. with some parts of her that the and the way that she was like presenting herself at the table and what she was doing. Yeah. And I came to realize it was because I had the, and this is a character I've had for a very, very long time. I and made this, up her this name. This goes back to what we were saying earlier I was about, eight years old. about what's some um, of like the negative side effects yeah. of and it's hard. picking a template that you're near, dear, and true to can yes. have. It can be really hard. And mm. that was something that I was dealing with because in my mind, she's this, she's a full person. She's this full character that I know so much about, mm. but I didn't share a lot of that information. And I was realizing that I wasn't like letting the DM note or letting anyone really other than mm-hmm. me know these things. And I was like, well, why am I feeling so unfulfilled? And it was because I'd never said anything. And yeah. there was no way for anyone to know anything about this character before I told them. Because we were mm-hmm. talking about D&D is a very, like, it, it is a show and tell. It is not yeah. one of the things where you, it's a, like, show, don't tell, or tell, don't show. It mm-hmm. is a, it's like, 100% you, both. you have to put both into it. Otherwise, like, there's no, people aren't mind readers, you know? There's no mm-hmm. way... Um, to kind of like figure out those things on your own. Yeah. Um, but like two other little questions or two other little questions that I've got on my list are, um, do, or I guess three, uh, what does their morning and nighttime routine look like? How, like, do they have one? Why yeah, do they have one? Do they one? have one? Do they not have one? Do mm-hmm. they sleep in? Do they wake up early? Blah, 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 blah. And fun thing you can do with that, like, cool. Uh, they have a really strict routine. Maybe that means that they had like military like parents or noble parents. Yeah. Boom, there you go. Another background piece. Or like I, they had a jackass older brother that was like really on time and punctual. 
And now they have like this rivalry. Cool. There you go. You got another background piece because you wake up early. Snowball so quickly when you're like doing character creation. It's amazing. How much care do they put in their appearance? Do they wear makeup? Do they follow fashion trends? Are they very anti-fashion trends? Do they Mm -hmm. like roll out of bed and just put their hair up? Or Or for my hour for my guys that might not be (laughs) skewed into that question, where it's how much care do they put into their appearance? uh, Something that I like to think about is. Uh, what does their armor look like? What is it inspired by? Is there a piece of media or a book or a, a comic or an anime that you're like, holy shit, I want it to look just like that? Uh, where do they get it from? Who made it? Is it made from the doors in the mountains? What it made? Was it made by this like really specific legendary smith? Um, like those are also things as you, if you're wanting to play a character that's not quite as focused on appearance that you can still get into that way. Uh, what do their regal robes look like? What kind of what, what color purple are they? What do they symbolize? Is there a crest yeah. on it? Is it family based? Is it disgraced? Another thing is like really like and things that sound silly. Like what do they smell like? There was a moment where you were describing something and you said like you could smell like cigarettes and like stale beer on a character. Yeah, that is so immersive for like players and character. Like it is immersive for everyone. Of like yeah. it is it your was character one of the first wear... times I really use smell too. Yeah, and it's super impactful. Maybe when you cast your magic, there's like a certain smell to it, or maybe your character wears a really mm-hmm. strong perfume. Yeah, really easy um, one for that. Firebase powers. Like, are you if you're a warlock and you're using a firebase power, is it related to like a demonic or like a hell like deity? Cool. Like when you use your powers, smell of brimstone. Yeah. Same thing with, I don't know how you would do like the opposite being angelic. I don't know. It smells like puppies and lavender. Yeah, it smells like clean laundry and the sun. Clean laundry and like crisp autumn air. Yeah, I think in that case you would lean into the more like natural clean smells. Um, I think talking about like the five senses at the table is one of the most like immersive things. Talking about the sound too. Sound, how things feel. Like Mm -hmm. if you were like talking about like, oh, and it feels like, or like, there's like hot breath in your face mm-hmm. as the monster yeah. is like right in front of you. Like that type of stuff is really, really cool for everyone at the table. And it makes and your I, storytelling sound so much like more put together than yeah, it is. Yeah, 100%. And I would, I would definitely lay on any like DMs more on that than players uh, when you're, and this, this kind of goes back to the, the world building episode. Like the more, the more of the five senses, like just staying on conversation, the more of the five senses you can use, the more immersed everyone's going to be. Uh, And even as a DM, it helps me to know what a character, number one, dresses like. How do they carry themselves? Do they have a limp? Do they have broad shoulders? Do they, like, command a room when they stand in? There was a character that I did in the first campaign. She was, like, the queen of this this whole, like, kingdom. And it was, like, there was an immediate change of attitude that I tried to, like, convey to everybody. Once she walked in the room, everybody stood up straighter. Everyone's eyes were on her. There was no talking back. Like, the the tension's so thick you can cut a knife. Like, it sounds cheesy, it sounds corny, but, like, do it because it adds so much atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And it gives you a better idea as a DM, too, moving forward what you want those spaces to look like, especially if they're a familiar location. Yeah. What is the bar that they always go to smell like? What does it look like? Is the wood rotted? Is it new? Uh, does the barkeep, like, keep a rag on hand to make sure that any spilled drinks get kicked very, like, cleaned very quickly? Or is it, like, a UK bar where there's a... a <laughs> Layer of grime and filth. It's foul. Um, on Everything every surface. Is sticky. Yeah, Don't but like US too. But that's the UK visceral. was worse. Oh yeah, that's visceral. That's guttural. That comes to mind. The more real world experiences that you can draw on to then give them in this fake, you know, fake fantasy made up shit. Yeah. The better time they'll have. Uh, last one I've got written down. What do they like to do for fun? Who are they that's outside of adventuring? One. That's a big one. Do I didn't they start have asking, hobbies? I didn't start asking that question until recently. Um, what do they do for fun? Like, what are they into? Even if you're playing in a high fantasy setting, is your character like a character that or like, even if you're playing goes a, to the tavern? Even if you're playing a character that's just generally unhappy with life. Let's say you've chosen to go down that route for whatever reason. No shame in it. it someone's got to do We've it. We've all right? done it. 
Yeah, and I mean, it, 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 there is something to be said about like the worth in tragic characters. However, comma, even people that are upset or that are chronically depressed have something that they will do to buy the time or yeah. entertain themselves. It doesn't have to be like, oh my god, I have this like super crazy fun hobby that I like to do. Uh, also, I'm an incredibly depressed character that hates everything and everybody. Yeah. No, it could just be like, I like taking strolls in the forest because I like the way the fresh air smells and it gets me away from like the flashbacks of the brimstone in my house when it was lit on fire by whoever, whoever. Like, that is a simple enough hobby and something to do for fun and leisure activity that it tells people loads about who you are as a character. Yes. And it, it's not something that you have to think about what this says about you as a character. Let other people mm -hmm. do that work for you. Yeah. But if you don't have anything to give other people, it's going to be so much harder for you to create a character and create a personality based upon And to upon find a role traits. play and a voice and yes. an idea and a mindset. Which I'm sure in an episode we do about role play, we'll talk about voices and we'll talk yeah. about like things like that. And your your other players at the table, I like what you said, your other players at the table will inform you about what your character is like just as much as you will inform yourself. Um, like there, there will very quickly be trends or jokes uh, or something that keeps happening or a role that a character always fails or is expected to fail and then suddenly that becomes like a big moment at the table where everyone's like, laughing or pointing or rooting or yeah. cheering or like piling on dice because like man they fucked up every other role but they got it they got to make this one like this is the one that counts for their character so now they're getting like six different dice to add to that role yeah um and it's also a thing of like nicknames you care like people at your table will give you nicknames my character was yeah. like a character who she introduced herself like full name to everyone that she spoke to um and it became a thing where and granted it was it has now become a stuck joke for another reason uh, because one of the people at our table doesn't enunciate. He mumbles. Um, shout, out to, and shout out to our mumbler. He said flashlight, or it sounded like he said flashlight instead of... Flashlight. Um, instead of flashlight, which um, also wasn't correct. No, the joke was supposed to be that, like, yeah, oh, he got the name wrong, but then it's... It, it and even, like, a stupid joke like that has spiraled into no one... Calls her by her right name. No one calls her by her correct name. I at started all. it as a very small joke, is like a douchebag character not caring to get someone's name right, and now it's fully snowballed into like a thing with her character is that nobody yeah. gets it right. Which is. But then in, as as a DM too, though, I take that as like a really cool way that I could then roll into her character or for her as a person like feeling like her character has made it is the first time somebody knows who she is and gets the name right. Yeah. Or a fan like, I don't know, maybe she's talking to somebody on the street after this really big like bank heist went on and her and the, you know, her and her adventuring group or her and her superhero party say to everybody and everyone else is getting autographs because they know who they are and like a couple of people come up to her and start making jokes about like flashlight or flashlight or calling her everything else and there's like that one true fan in the back that holds up like this uh, very shittily written comic, but like that means the world because it's like actually no, the name is Nightlight and she's really cool. That's gonna mean so much more now because everyone else decided to dick on her for having a name that's like kind of rhymy with a lot of other things. So also don't get upset. I mean, th yeah. there are times to be upset. I mean, if y'all start calling me Fleshlight at the table, I'm, I, I am actively that. going to be upset. I'm not gonna let that stick. It was funny okay. in the moment, but like even those moments where it's like okay, like it's a thing, but it's not the, it's not my favorite thing. If you have a DM that thinks about the things that people are saying at the table, which if they're not, they're stupid, yeah. um, it will be rolled into and it will be all the more fun for it. Yes. And I think that's about all we have. Yeah. I'll say I think we're getting up there in time. Yeah, I think we're at about an hour and ten around there, which is infinitely shorter than the one coming out <laughs> before this, which is close yes. to two hours. Yes. So. Um, you all don't have nearly as much content to listen to on this one. But now that we um, we now have a camera, 
that we can use. So I think next for, week for our next that, episode, yeah. sometime eventually in the future, we'll see. It just depends on how much practice we can get in with this fucking $1,000 camera. <laughs> um, we're going to finally sit down and do the character sheets, and that'll probably be a, about an hour-long episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't imagine we're going to walk through every single thing in minute detail, which we kind of did but also didn't do on this. Probably do it even less. We'll just walk you through what we've been talking to you about for the Rolling last Rolling through characters, three episodes. Yeah, all that good stuff. Yeah, that fun stuff. Um but yeah, uh, that's kind of what you guys can probably expect for the next one, unless for some reason we can't get it up and running, in which we'll just sidestep and go to another topic and then get you the character sheet sometime yeah. next month. It'll still be fun, and we'll still see you next Thursday. Uh-huh. Thanks You're... for listening. Yep. Thanks for tuning in to another ridiculously long episode. <laughs> Goodbye.